This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. We are in a moment of massive disruption and emerging innovation in education. Though I recorded this particular conversation before the coronavirus pandemic, the timing of this episode seems particularly appropriate. Leslie and Mark Beggert recently launched Fabulingua, a language learning app that mixes animated storytelling with simultaneous translation. The Fabulingua origin story is inspiring. Platform and its methodology are super engaging, and the scaling possibilities are really exciting. So let's get into it with Mark and Leslie Beggert right now. Okay, so we're here today with Mark and Leslie Beggert. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to talk about your new business, Mark. We've talked about it on on a couple occasions. Yeah. Leslie, we we sort of just virtually met, so I'm excited to hear your story. The two of you have developed this language learning platform for kids through stories. And Leslie, this is born out of your your upbringing, right? You grew up in Barcelona, multilingual family. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was a, a bilingual environment. It was uh, English in the home uh, and Spanish outside, everywhere else outside okay. the home. And uh, and I lived there until I was about 13. Uh, I'd also spend summers in Venezuela with my Venezuelan family. And, uh, and really, it was only when uh, I then moved to the UK when I was 13. Um, and uh, there I, you know, eventually kind of, took some French classes as a teenager, but I'd had this uh, luck, I guess, uh, in that I had spent my kindergarten years a year in a French school. So I'd had oh, this wow. like exposure at a young age, which was kind of interesting to me because that kind of would come back and play into uh, sort of various career opportunities that, that were available to me because of that. But I think the, 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 the why, the, the, the how of what we're doing really kind of originates in my college years. Um, I studied psychology and philosophy as an undergraduate at Oxford and then went on to do uh, social anthropology at Cambridge. And during all those years, I would do lots of expeditions. Okay. And I often found myself as a, a simultaneous translator for the group. And um, so I developed this skill set that I didn't realize at the time would ever become useful again where I spent hours and hours translating from Spanish into English. Uh And it's become, it's like a bit of a muscle memory thing. Sure. Anyway, so fast forward, I've finished college, do a stint in banking, which at Goldman, which is kind of really not for me, and then go and work at L'Oreal in marketing. And that's really the first time that I realized, you know, the benefits of knowing an extra language, you know, because I'd had that exposure in kindergarten to French, uh, the, the French I did go on to study as a teenager and as a young adult, it, it really it landed very easily, very well. I got a happy, a good French accent. And so I was able to, you know, they were able to give me extra French classes and pick it up well enough to do business in French. So that was my first experience. Then Mark and I met in London. Uh, we moved to Shanghai uh, together. Oh, I followed him shortly after he went over there. And there I, uh, I decided to sort of 
throw myself into learning Mandarin okay. and had a really cool life experience of uh, going to a fine arts school there for a number of years uh, and, and specifically studying sculpture. So that was just a really wow. unique opportunity to work with these amazing sculptors in Mandarin the whole time and learn so much. And then uh, we took a year out, we went traveling and uh, we ended up in Argentina, bought some property there and had a property business going out of Argentina for about eight years. We didn't live there for all that time. But uh, again, you know, that was another language that I was using. So the, by the time I was pregnant with my first child, I was like, wow, I've had all these different business and personal opportunities because of sort of these language skills. I'd really want to make sure that my kids had that opportunity. Sure. And it seems but, like yeah. when you're, it seems like these language skills that you developed, but you sort of developed both through the sort of formal traditional classroom experience, but also just through ex- experiential learning. You know, just you're either in a community that's speaking it or you're forced to be this translator to your colleagues. It seems like you're getting immersed in a bunch of different ways of learning language. Totally. Absolutely. Um, uh, yes. From formal kind of grammar lessons, kind of chained to my desk at school right. to, to just kind of got to wing it and make yourself understood. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and really it all contributes. Um, the, the interesting thing is that despite all of these really great intentions, when I, when I was pregnant with my, my older kid, I did not start off speaking Spanish to him. Okay. Really, um, even though I really had thought about it long and hard and, and had a lot of debates in my head about this, whether I was going to do it. And it was only when he was two and a half years old and I went to take him to Caracas to see my grandmother mm-hmm. um, that my cousin pulled me aside and she was like, Leslie, what she, she now lives in Austin. It's kind of interesting. She was just like, Leslie, why, what are you doing? Like, I can't believe you're not speaking Spanish to him. You, you do realize you're depriving him of a huge gift, a huge opportunity. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're totally right. right. I'm totally dropping the ball. Yeah, and, and so like can... you needed one other thing to feel terrible about as a new parent, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> You're exactly. screwing up your child on so many dimensions. There's, let's just add another. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it was so I came back kind of like fully armed with this idea that I was we were going to speak Spanish at home. Mark sure. loves speaking Spanish. He, he'll talk to anyone in Spanish if they make themselves available to him. So um, we did that. Um, but my son was not on board at all. Okay. And And how old, how old was he at this point? Two and a half, you know, pretty, they can be pretty vociferous. And eventually, you know, he would just like have rallying cries, like no Spanish and just be furious. (laughs) And as you said, you know, as a parent, you've just got so many battles to fight that eventually you choose them. And I was like, I'm not going to die on this hill. So, you know, I, um, that's when I was like, okay, so it won't be our home language, but does that mean that the ship has sailed? My kids are never going to speak Spanish. And that's when I looked back at my, my experience at the French kindergarten for a year. And sure. I was like, hang on a minute. That gave me a massive leg, leg up. And that was just one year at school. Huh. You know, I wonder if I, I can do, if I can do something, it'll still be something that should he choose to use it later on would give him an advantage you know, if that's where he wants to go. Sure. So, and at this point, you're you're like, business is not on your radar at all. It's just, I want to make a better life for my slightest. child. Yeah. Yes, this is totally for my kid. Okay. And, and so basically, you know, I looked around a lot and, uh, you know, what I found at the time was, was, you know, 
pretty token, like, hey, learn your colors, learn your numbers. And right. I was like, yeah, well, what about after the colors and the numbers? There's a big gap between that and being able to speak a language, sure. right? So I didn't find anything. So I started, I was like, you know what, what else could I do? I was like, you know, we're a big family of readers. I think like one of the most wonderful things about being a parent is you get to sit down with the person you most love in the world on your lap and dive into a beautiful illustrated children's book and, and, and spend time in this imaginary world together. So I was like, well, how about I do that, but like with bilingual books. So I started mm. with some bilingual books, you know, paragraph in Spanish on the left, paragraph in English on the right, on the other page, but that didn't work for us. You know, he would basically kind of path of least resistance, totally ignore the Spanish and wait for me to get to the English page. Okay. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to do Spanish only immersion. And that he was again, super vociferous about He's like, you know, it was kind of tantamount to like, I don't know if you speak Russian. I don't, if somebody was to sit down and just read me a Russian book, he was not interested at the age of two and a half, you know? So I, that's when the simultaneous translation muscle memory started to kick in. I was like, okay, so you're really frustrated that you don't understand what's going on in this book in Spanish. How about I do the simultaneous translation? To me, it was supernatural because I've done it a million times. It's not necessarily natural to every Spanish speaker. Like it, it is, you know, something you need to have practiced. Sure. And um, that turned out to be like the magic thing. And, and are you talking like read one sentence in Spanish and then the same sentence in English? Like what, when you say simultaneous, how, how is it, what are the dynamics of that? Right. So this was, we had a Spanish only book and I would read to him a phrase that I, I would, that, that was maybe three or four words long, okay. depending on the phrase. And it could be half of a sentence. And it would be something along the lines of, el perro se fue, the dog went a la playa to the beach. Y se encontró, and he met un tiburón, a shark. You know? Oh, you are so really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, it by doing it that way, he was totally wrapped up in the story. And he was like, oh my God, what's going to happen to the dog and the shark? He did not care at all about how the story had got into his brain, sure. which one of the languages. But interestingly enough, like in my, and then we developed a whole methodology where the second round, we could copy my, how I said each one of those phrases. And then eventually he would quote unquote read that page because we've read it so many times. But anyway, long and short is that I started doing this methodology for, for quite a little bit, quite a time for him, but it wasn't even... Like in my plan and my mind, I was gonna like I was like, okay, this is cool. This is a, this is something I could do. I'm gonna do it once a week for the rest of his life, right? And I yeah. had this great plan of like the superstar parent I was gonna be. And the reality again of parenting is that you have all these great plans and like most of them don't come true. Right. So this was one of the ones that that I was like, it didn't happen every week. It happened a lot less frequently. You know, I'd say probably once a month or so. But the interesting thing to me was that when he started little Spanish classes at his preschool, it the the level of learn like the the the, the speed at which he learned was so much faster than his little friends who hadn't been read these Spanish stories. Really? Okay. Um, so I was like, wow, I didn't even do it as much as I wanted to. Like really, I felt like I totally failed, and yet it was really crazy effective for how little time I'd invested in it. Huh. Right. Yeah. And 
So interestingly came along when my daughter then came along, I was like, this is like crazy effective. I'm going to do this with her a lot more. So the kid, the second one gets the benefit. And, um, uh, and then there was this one, this one day, you know, a couple years later where I was doing this translation of this book in this way I'd done for by now many years with both my kids. And I had this moment, I was like, oh no, I have to stop doing it because I need to answer all those emails and I need to cook dinner and it's five o'clock and I need to do all of them. Sure. Ah, I need to clone myself. And in that moment, I was like, no one, I can't clone my emailing, email writing and I can't yet clone a meal. But this thing here, like this, there, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do a large, uh, technology shouldn't be able to do a large part of what I'm doing right, right now. Right, right. And that's really when I started looking, I was like, is there anyone out there that is teaching a second language through children's stories with this kind of methodology? And I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anything. So I waited for about six months for somebody to build it. To me, it seemed kind of like, I don't know, an obvious thing for somebody to build and, and no one did it. So eventually, you know, I just thought, well, if no one else is going to build it, maybe I need to. So Yeah, I'm trying to think like we've got, you know, traditional in school learning, which seems really just rigid and formal, and we can get into that, but it also seems like the, you know, the only sort of private competitors I've thought of are, you know, like the classic Rosetta Stone type of thing for an adult, right? Yeah, that's correct. I'll jump in here. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, when Leslie came to this sort of revelation and had done some market research around um, the alternatives or solutions that were similar to the methodology that she'd been using or developing with our kids, you know, we did a pretty deep dive into the market and looking what, what was available out there. And yes, there are and have been uh, a lot of um, traditional language learning uh, programs. You know, you mentioned Rosetta Stone. There's been Berlitz. That's been around forever. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are language tutors. There's night school. There's uh, all sorts of things that exist really in a, for adults, for children, um, you know, the alternatives are less and less, particularly in, you know, the United States. Uh, a school either subscribes to language learning as being something important and therefore makes it a part, but less and less that's the case. And particularly in public schools, you won't see language learning until it's an elective in the sixth or seventh grade. And of course, the way it's taught is something you alluded to earlier. It's, it's very much a, a grammar focused introduction, um, which has a lot of rote memorization associated with it. Right. Um, I'm sure you recall uh, conjugating verbs and things like that. Oh, yeah. I'm having all kinds of flashbacks <laughs> in this conversation. I, I learned yeah, German it's, it's, in high school and it was rough. It's breaking rocks. It really is. That's how I was taught. Um, I, you know, here in Texas, believe it or not, where there's a whole lot of Spanish spoken um, in public schools, it's not, uh, it's typically not introduced until sixth grade elective. And it's, you know, it's a, it's um, it's hard work, and of course, that's an awkward age um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to uh, to to be put into a position where you have to get up in front of a class sometimes and speak extemporaneously uh, in a foreign language that uh, you really don't understand at all and don't have any sort of foundation in. So, right. yeah, that's a big problem. And you know, the the other really critical thing that you're missing by introducing the language. Um, you know, at that age is that there's this sort of magical window um, of cognitive development between the age of, you know, zero and, you know, some say eight, nine, 10, where our brains are actively wiring to all of the language input around us. 
And that is an opportunity to acquire a language um, cognitively vis-a-vis, you know, waiting a bit longer when we have to, quote unquote, learn that particular language uh, from a rules-based approach. So, um, you know, this was, this was all a part of the research we did when we dove into whether or not this had the legs, the market, the opportunity, the differentiation yeah, to be I'm, a company that could have a big impact. As you're, thinking, as you're laying that out there, Mark, I'm thinking, you know, Leslie, you kind of grokked this method of teaching your son, um, yet at the same time, like thinking about it as a business opportunity, you start to get into the research on learning and realize that actually this method aligns with, with not only the, the age it's sort of age-appropriate learning mechanisms, but also methodologically, like it aligns with how we learn, right? Yeah. I mean, the really fascinating thing is, as you said, as we started doing this research, so one of the first things we did actually after doing some customer recent research was to take out, uh, go through the process of taking out a patent on the methodology. And uh, the the interesting thing, I don't know if you've ever taken one out, but it's kind of like writing an academic paper, right? You have mm-hmm. to sit down and come through reams and reams of academic research that's been done before to say, how am I different? And, and in the process of that, that's when we found out about um, all the academic research that had been done in second language acquisition. And, um, and basically the big um, uh, new understanding in second language language acquisition is that the single most important thing is the in in terms of the successful second language acquisition isn't sitting down and learning rules as mark was talking about and memorizing things it is in actual fact the amount of input that goes into your brain mm. so long as that input is comprehensible which means that you roughly have an understanding of what it's about so, so long as the input meets, meets that criteria, more input, more learning, okay. right? So really what you want to do is create an exposure program with as much comprehensible input as possible. And you, after that, your brain is really good at wiring to figure, to, to figure out the rules that tend to emerge from all of that exposure, right? Um, so it was just really fascinating. I was like, oh, and, and I didn't realize that this is what I was doing. I was creating this exposure program. But one of the key aspects well, that, that, that goes along with this, the, 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 the comprehensible input um, factor theory is that um, to be most effective, it needs to be in a low stress, low anxiety environment. Right, right. Um, there's a, there's, the, there's a, a, the sort of uh, preeminent uh, sort of thinker, thought leader, um, and academic behind second language acquisition as a professor at a USC called Stephen Krashen, who wrote Theory of Second Language Acquisition. And mm-hmm. two of his primary, you know, uh, sort of hypotheses behind this theory is that, um, one, maximize comprehensible input, and two, um, do so in a low-stress, low-anxiety environment, because um, if an effective filter is raised uh, in the learning process, then the ability to to learn that language, to acquire that language, um, is mitigated. So that's where you know our, our our stories and the engagement and the fun associated with it and meeting the child in that sort of medium and environment is is really helpful. Yeah, I, I found that super interesting. That he he basically was saying, look, for all learning, 
low stress is good, right? right. Low anxiety. Right. But he said, you know, at the mar, I, I've sort of heard discussions that at the margins, maybe a little bit of stress can be good in a couple subjects. I don't know specifically which ones that kind of can give you that kind of extra oomph to get over the line to learn something. But he said, for language learning, it is literally always totally counterproductive. This effective filter, which he called it, goes up in the brain and stops you literally learning any new language if there's any degree of stress, which then goes back to the experience you had as a teenager of standing in class and, and uh, you know, being forced to, to, to speak extemporaneously and, and, and uh, you know, in this really high stress environment, you're really not learning. Your, your brain's incapable of learning all that much. Oh, yeah. I can just all the layers of stress. It's like getting up in front of people and then the dynamics of, of trying to express an idea and then express it in a foreign language. It's just so many layers of stress, particularly for a sixth grader, like you said, Mark, that's not a time of your life where – Getting them in front of a group is the, the, the thing you're begging to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, look, learning um, grammar rules that are part of any language. We sure. learn that in, in English as native English speakers at some point. But, um, you know, we will have had somewhere between six and ten years of being immersed in that particular language and having a very strong foundation in that language before we begin to learn um, sort of the grammatical rules associated with that language. Yet with foreign languages, that's where we start. <laughs> yeah, it's so odd. I mean, I think about it. I have a friend that, um, a colleague here who does research on how children learn to tell time. Mm. And if you think of like a watch or a clock, it's, it's a very complicated way of communicating information. I mean, time is complicated as a concept. And then you think about how we communicate it with these three hands on a clock yeah, but children sort of just pick it up and gain fluency <laughs> with this thing, with really no explicit idea of the rules. Right? They're not right. being taught the rules. They're just sort of said, well, you know, this is seconds and this is hours, and over a period of exposure, they get it. Same thing. It seems like some of those rules hold with language as well. Well, I mean, I, I always use the example as if you can imagine when you were first fed. Um, by your mother or father and you're sitting there in that high chair and, you know, again and again and again, you're, you're saying, you know, they're, they're holding the spoon out and saying, you know, eat the carrots, you want the carrots, you know, or um, have your juice or drink your water, water, you know, eventually over time you, you go, okay, that thing that, that she keeps handing over here. Um, that, that she's saying that word water, that must be water. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Build those associations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I guess back to sort of the, the timeline here, Leslie, you're starting to, you're, both of you are starting to do research on, hey, is there anything, is there anybody else out there in the marketplace doing this? Seeing that there is not, you're also realizing that technology is a way that you could deliver this product yeah. to, to, to a, a scalable market, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, abs absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to sort of speak to that briefly. I think I'd, you know, we, we talked about the traditional solutions that were out there. Um, and, you know, when we did our sort of customer discovery um, research project where we sat down with around 40 different families uh, across Austin and, and essentially had a, you know, eth ethnographic sort of research study mm -hmm. of, uh, of, of, of these 
parents, these families who had a, a keen interest in having their kids learn a second language. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hi, this is Mike Morelli, director of the Entertainment Management Program at the University of Montana, and you are listening to A New Angle. You know, to a, to a family, we found that one of the bigger challenges to language learning for their children was that it wasn't particularly accessible. In other words, it was fairly inconvenient. Um, and, you know, there was a pretty significant cost to it um, and that uh, they, 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 they couldn't really, you know, they didn't understand or, or, or feel that it was, you know, effectively um, and efficiently uh, developing language skills for the kids. Okay. The type of, you know, and there are all sorts of, you know, it's a, it's a very fragmented market. Um, we mentioned all the different ways earlier that adults learn. Same thing with kids. With kids, it's typically, you know, a little bit more focused on, you know, meetups or preschool immersion um, or even dual language schools, which are, are start, certainly starting to, um, to grow in number here uh, in, in Texas and other sort of border states. Um, those are big decisions to, to send a child to, you know, either immersion school or to a dual language school. Yeah. Um, and but but sort of a, a, a more convenient solution that could uh, start kids, you know, affordably to develop the sort of foundational familiarity in that particular language um, and something that was engaging to the child uh, that that did really didn't exist. Um, so, you know, we believe that that there are, there's a sort of a, a world or a holistic approach to language learning and everything supportive. But um, in terms of something that was, you know, accessible, um, you know, convenient, engaging, and sort of at the ready, uh, we couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the two of you ha also have pretty deep experience in kind of starting up businesses, right? So this was, this was swimming around in your experience as well. Yes. Yes. I mean, my, my background for the last 20 years has been to, you know, help build and grow uh, essentially startups um, in the technology arena. Actually, also in renewable energies, I did a bit of that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always really been interested in um, businesses that have a social impact one way or another. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the other thing that that we think is really important about um, about learning a second language. You know, there's um, there's a, a there's so many benefits to learning a second language. Leslie spoke, you know, more specifically around sort of the personal, you know, academic and professional benefits. But what she didn't talk about is how the ways in which it is it had affected her, you know, EQ. Um, yep. She's, um, you know, in, in the the kind of diversity that she's been exposed to, and the the, the ability to develop you know, perspective um, and, and really empathy. And I mean, I'll let Leslie talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's kind of maybe one of the unsung, but, but really fundamental benefits of learning a second language for anyone, but in particular for children. Mm -hmm. And, and really, it, it's because of, it, it's because of the, the, the empathy piece is just huge. And I know it sounds a little bit woo woo and it sounds like you're, you know, talking about a way bigger thing than, than, than it is, but it, it really, I think it really is, 
it's very true and it's very real. And to me, it's like the, the most important reason that I'm teaching my kids a second language, apart from the opportunities it might bring them. And, 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 and really it comes about because of the following. So if you speak two languages as a kid, like I'm right now, you can't see me because we're on a podcast, but I'm holding a glass. Uh, I call it a glass in English. That's what we call it. But any child who might be as young as two years old who speaks a second language knows that that same object is also called vaso. Mm. And so what they know at a very young age, even if they can't verbalize it and they can't put, you know, you know, talk about it, they know that this object can be referred to in two different ways. They understand the concept that there are two different perspectives on the same thing. And that is a huge cognitive lift. That is something that normally happens much later on, the idea that the understanding that there are different perspectives on the same thing. Right. And that you can shift from one perspective to the other. And so that you're getting when you're speaking a second language, you're getting a lot of repetitions with that changing of perspective all the time. And that cements neural pathways. And that is the the basis of empathy, right? You cannot even start to foster empathy without an understanding that somebody else might have a different perspective. So it is fundamental. And these kids grow up knowing this intuitively and deeply that there are more than one perspective on the world. And that's the basis of, of, of empathy. So really, you're, you're really just doing a lot of reps, so to speak, with the empathy muscles of your mind when you are learning a second language as a child. Um, and I think that that stands to benefit the whole of society, right? If we raise kids that have got more empathy as they're very de- in, in their very essence and their very heart. Absolutely. So then, you know, you've got all these realizations of the benefits of the method. How do you then bring it to life? Like, how do you how do you make a product out of this or a service out of this? What's what's that look like? <laughs> well, one of the things we learned, and I'll refer again to that customer discovery study. Uh, you know, uh, you know how important it is to speak to your customers or potential customers and hear what they have to say. One of the things we learned is that it was really important to parents that um, this that whatever uh, solution they they were going to use to uh, to teach their kids a second language, that it didn't feel like homework, yeah. and it wasn't hard yeah. work, that it was fun, that it was engaging, um, that it was um, uh, that's something that they, they were eager to do. And so with that, we recognized that we needed to um, spend time um, building the appropriate amount of interactivity and engagement uh, into the product. And so, you know, the idea of just taking a an illustrated children's book and PDFing it and calling it a sort of a digital story with a narrator was uh, was 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 not what we had in mind. That would have sure. been a very flat and unfortunately, it's an overused uh, sort of way of of bringing children's literature to uh, a digital environment. No, our idea was that we wanted to sort of create a highly interactive. Um, you know, uh, language learning asset, really. It's a, it stands at the intersection of, of, of learning and entertainment and games and all of the things that kids love. And of course, you know, 
we all know uh, how kids are attracted to technology and devices in general. So we spent time building a team that had game development background, casual and MMO games, believe it or not. They were all very keen around our mission. Um, they are missionaries. They're excited about language and they wanted to make each one of these stories in our platform overall something that, um, you know, kids would be, you know, excited to, 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 to play with. So, you know, we talk about playing with our story um, instead of just, you know, you know, reading or consuming or following along. Right. right. Yeah. And so as a result, we, we've developed a, you know, we've developed sort of a, a gamified approach that, you know, is largely, we, we, we try to very focus on extrinsic extrinsic motivation, excuse me, intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to inspire the kids to uh, be proud and love the learning that's that's happening. Um, we ended up developing, you know, multiple modes and ways to go through the story. We've got, um, you know, stickers as rewards for completing stories. Um, we decided to introduce um, a, a mode in which the child uh, is uh, practices pronunciation. Um, and then evaluates themselves rather than having some sort of, um, you know, uh, way to, to sort of judge or gauge their own pronunciation. So it's it's fun. It's fun. It's kind of interesting on that front. Uh, you were talking about uh, earlier on about meeting the child where there are sounds like, you know, maybe there's a Montessori uh, uh you know, uh, background there. Sure. I, we've raised our, both our kids in, in Montessori schools. And it, weirdly enough, I think that that's kind of informed uh, a, a fairly large amount of the philosophy because I guess we've been steeped in it. But, you know, what the point Mark is making right there, that, you know, kids checking their own work is a really important one because we don't feel that you need technology to say, you, you pronounce that wrong right right because the human ear when you play back your version and the original narrators we all know like you don't you you know kids know and in actual fact you don't want to make them feel bad about the fact that they got it wrong the next time around they all just automatically lean in a bit more and try and make it a little bit more like the narrator and so it's a natural process without any rights or wrongs. And so you, you're you letting the kid make their own evaluation as to, you know, how close they got and how close they're going to get next time. It's kind of interesting. So mechanically, it's it's the the, the application is sort of a, uh, replicating, Leslie, that method that you developed of the simultaneous translation. And then is it asking the, ch the child to um, repeat? back to, to, to the application, the story itself? Yes, there's, there's, uh, we have essentially five modes which are progressively more challenging okay. for each story. Um, the first mode, uh, the narrator reads the story with this simultaneous translation that we referred to earlier. The second mode is when the story is, is narrated completely in Spanish. And of course, each one of these pages has certain interactive elements to it. Mm -hmm. um, the third mode is where the child uh, essentially copycats the narrator on a phrase by phrase basis um, and is able to sort of record their voice by sort of pressing the button and having uh, it recorded and then played back, which they absolutely love. Um, another mode is our games, comprehension games, which test 
retention of not only some of the vocabulary that they've been exposed to, but also tests uh, some sort of grammatical elements such sure. as uh, masculine, feminine, um, singular, plural. Um, and then the final mode is where the, uh, you know, in this most challenging mode, if you get there, uh, you, uh, you become the narrator yourself and okay. you actually are able to record, uh, the entire story, go through the story. And then at the end, have the entire story read back in your own voice, um, which is, you know, extraordinarily gratifying to kids that can make it that far and gratifying to their parents who've uh, witnessed this. So, sure. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's super cool. And, you know, we are the beneficiaries of the evolution of, of both, you know, the technology and the penetration of devices, because, you know, this is a mobile first application. Mm -hmm. And one of the building blocks that we're using is a, um, you know, is unity, which, you know, has been traditionally built and used for game development. So, um, you know, this is, this is uh, something that would not have been possible, you know, five years ago, I believe. So that's that's the other, um, I think, uh, trend that that we're, uh, I, I believe, I hope to be uh, sort of benefiting from, um, you know, moving forward. Yeah, and as, as I'm thinking about that, you know, there's there's it's this interesting market where, be curious to hear your thoughts about how you relate to entities that could be considered competition or could be considered complement. So, you know, the school system yeah. is one, but then these other content delivery platforms, you know, like Netflix, Amazon Prime, et cetera, like they could either yeah. grab what you're doing and scale it or replicate it themselves or, or you could be important collaborators. Like they could deliver your product. It's, yeah. How are you thinking about the landscape of competition and collaboration? So, um, that, I mean, I think that's a really uh, great question. I, we really come from a perspective that the more you do to learn a language, the better. Sure. So, you know, uh, you know, hey, we, use, we have a rule at home that if you want to watch Netflix, it's in Spanish. Period. Okay. Right. You know, so, um, and, and my kids know that. There's, there might have been resistance at the beginning. There isn't anymore. Uh, so, I mean, watching foreign language films is an awesome way to get more exposure, more comprehensible input, mm -hmm. so long as you understand what's going on. So, you know, the subtitles help for that. Um, in terms of uh, other digital products, I mean, we're, when we speak to a lot of publishers, I've been on, on road trips around Spain and South America, speaking to publishers to get uh, more content for the future. And one of the things we say is, you know, th we, they don't see us a, as a competition to what they do because mm -hmm. at no point do we ever put out a book out there that is a digital book that you can download take home and you're going to pay x amount for it we are a subscription product and people only come to us to learn a second language they don't come to download a specific book and then kind of walk away right so um we see our, we very very much collaborate with publishers both digital and otherwise uh that want to just have a different income stream um you know uh, for their assets Although at the same time, could you also be a publisher as well? Like, are you soliciting content oh, we, contributors? We are, we are. Yeah. Yeah, we are and we do. And, you know, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Justin, I mean, we're essentially a platform, right? Yeah. So our, our content, our stories um, have been sourced uh, by, from, you know, freelance writers and illustrators in Latin America that we've, um, we've made, we've hustled to make you know, contacts with 
and they've uh, been, um, I guess, we've been fortunate that they've been willing to take the risk with us to get this platform going. Sure. Um, you know, and essentially it's a licensing arrangement, but we own that particular content. And now um, we're starting to have conversations with publishers who wouldn't speak to us before, but now that our product is up and running and they've seen the prototype and they're excited about what we're doing, they have, of course, a, a, a giant catalog of stories um, that we, um, that they are, are, are making available for for us to sort of repurpose um, and for them to monetize into these interactive language learning assets. And we have to do quite a bit of production or development work on our end to turn their stories into these products. But what we're also doing is we're building the tech to make this process more and more efficient. And ultimately what we'd like to be is a platform that essentially sits in between the storytellers of, of, of the world and um, the, uh, the language learners where the tools that we build and develop um, are useful in creating and producing and then ultimately publishing and monetizing um, the stories that are, are brought to us. Um, so we'll have a you know, curated collection of stories that we believe um, is a, are a great fit for, for our customer base. And of course, as, as, as we evolve and as we grow, we're going to get better at understanding what our customers like and want. Sure. And we'll be able to implement adaptive learning techniques and, you know, content recommendation and things like that. But um, so that's the longer term vision. Yeah. So putting this all together, where are you at right now? And, you know, I, yeah. Can, can, can people subscribe, download this sure. thing or like sure, how far, sure, where, where are you sure. at in the process? Yeah, sure. So when we, we've, um, we, uh, we're now sort of, you know, two years in, um, and, uh, we, you know, raised a little outside capital for the first time in, um, uh, about, uh, three or four months ago, okay. which gives us a, a nice runway and allow, has allowed us to sort of launch a little quicker than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, as of this week are now live and available on both uh, the App Store and Google Play Store uh, for download. And um, we have a sort of a freemium model in the sense that, you know, you download, the download is free, and then one of our uh, stories is available for free. Um, And then if you want access to the other stories that are in our Fabulingua world, uh, then you would subscribe um, to our to our platform and we will be adding new stories, new features, new games on a regular basis uh, to keep the experience as fresh as possible and to continue to add value um, to, to our subscribers um, and also to uh, continue to develop their proficiency in the language. And right now we're uh, focused on uh, teaching Spanish to English speakers but uh, in the in 2020, at some point, we will be um, flipping that around and taking you know these same stories and assets and or a lot of the same stories and assets and and repurposing them to teach uh, uh, English to Spanish speakers and then we'll go uh, to to other languages from there. So that's yeah, this, where we are. The, the, the scale yeah. opportunities seem super yeah. clear, um, yeah. and I realize that 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 we've been talking about this thing for 40 or so minutes. And that was the first time Mark that we've said the name of, of the business. Uh, how, <laughs> how is it spelled? And, and more specifically, like how, how yeah. So search on Fabulingua. How do we spell that? 
Sure, sure, sure. Search uh, Fabulingua is uh, F as in Frank, Fabu, like fabulous, and then Lingua, Lingua, like uh, L-I-N-G-U-A. So F-A-B-U-L-I-N-G-U-A, Fabulingua. Um, And we are at Fabulingua.com. We're at Fabulingua on Facebook. Um, We are Fabulingua Kids on Instagram. Um, and you can find us in the App Store and Google Play Store uh, by searching for uh, Fabulingua um, language learning for kids. Um, and it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a really exciting time for us right now, and hopefully the first step of a long journey. Yeah, and so kind of I want to be respectful of, of your time, but before we close, I would love to know just just as a as a kind of an aside. Um, yeah, this is a special business in the sense that it came out of your experience with your children and teaching your own children, and now it's the startup that you're that the two of you have created together. Um, it's our third baby. Yeah, so how's that been? Like working on a startup as a as a as a as a married couple? How's that? And parents? How's that coming together? I, uh, it's been amazing. Leslie is very <laughs> candid about this. Yeah, I'll let her answer. <laughs> I, I, it's honestly, it's been amazing and totally exceeded my expectations in any way that I could have thought. And, and if you'd asked me, you know, three years ago, whether this would have been a good idea, I would have given you a resounding no. <laughs> um, you know, in that, you know, to a certain extent, Mark and I had similar skill sets. I think maybe for any other business, we would have stepped on each other's toes. But for this business in particular, I am so obsessed with the content procurement and the product uh-huh. and those are um and and i'm so i i, I just don't have time to, to or interest to be quite honest to do anything other than that okay so uh you know and yet all of that needs to be doing because in actual fact i've started this business for a while before mark joined but I realized, I was like, I need somebody else that's just going to, you know, run all of this giant lift that also needs to be happening, as well as procuring all this amount of content, talking to illustrators and authors, you know, and, and crafting the product and all that kind of stuff. And, and so really, um, you know, we're super complementary in this particular business. So it's worked really great, and 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 it's been really wonderful for us for us to be working at the same time and raising our kids at the same time because it's become this really easy flow. Oh, have you got the kids today? Yes, I have because I know what you're working on. All of that kind of stuff. It's been super. It's been great. Yeah, I mean, if if I could add, I would just say that um, you know we have done a lot of projects together. Um, since we've been uh, a couple so and we've lived in a lot of places Mm -hmm. and we've um, faced uh, you know different um, seemingly uh, challenging circumstances and situations and so I think that the uh, sort of scar tissue that we developed from those experiences um, certainly benefits um, our partnership now uh, in the sense that where the openness and the honesty that is required from co-founders um, and the candor that's required from co-founders is something that comes very natural for us. And the trust that's brought is something that comes very natural to us. Totally. The trust is just gigantic. Of course. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just not, you know, I think it would have been uh, really hard for me to just 
turn around to somebody else and go, Hey, take half the business. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, this was my baby, but I trust Mark to raise, to help me raise my kids. So, you know, I felt totally like I could trust him to, to help me create this third baby. Well, the, the whole story is fantastic. I love the origin. I, I, I love the, the dynamics of the business, how it's using te- technology to think about how de- you know, we can deliver education in a different way. And I just wish you to the best of luck. I hope this thing takes off. I'm confident that it will. And I hope that we can talk down the road uh, and check in about, about how Fabulingua is doing. Thank you, Thank you Justin. So much. We really appreciate it. All right. I learned a ton in that one, and I hope that you did too. It's great to see people thinking about education in new and exciting ways. Note that Mark and Leslie have made their full platform available for free during this coronavirus crisis when families are focused on trying to learn and teach from home. Give it a try. Now's the time. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums, Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum, and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.